Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And let's read that together. Pray then like this, all together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to focus this morning on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. What did Jesus mean when he taught us to ask for, to pray for our daily bread? Let me pray and we'll take our seats and we'll dig in. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, open our eyes for the purpose of education. We need your word to educate us. Lord, I pray that you would warm our hearts for the purpose of inspiration. Lord, we need your word to inspire us, to move us. And finally, Lord, we pray that you would mold our wills for the purpose of transformation because we need your word to transform us. We pray according to your will in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to return to verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we know that. And then Jesus instructs us as to what the Lord's Prayer, how we're supposed to pray. And if you notice, the first few things that Jesus begins to talk about are all about God. Vertical. So before we ever get to verse 11, which seems to be a, which is, not doesn't seem to be, it's a prayer for our daily needs. Before we get to that, he talks about the name of God, your name, your kingdom, your will. You see this, right? Your name be revered, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then it's after, at that point that he says, you should then ask God for your daily bread. The Father has knowledge of what we need before we ask him. We, we see Jesus telling us this. But we also see in these first three elements of the Lord's Prayer, his name, his kingdom, his will are an indication that he not only knows what we need, but he has the capacity to meet your needs. This is important to know before we begin to ask God for things. One, does he care? And if we say yes, then we should ask, well, can he do anything about it? Does he care about you? And can he do anything about it? And the answer to that question is, yes, he does care. And we see that so clearly in the gospel, but we see it also because he knows what you need before you ask him. He cares about you, but he also has the capacity to meet your needs. 
We're supposed to ask God to take care of our needs. I think this is a trickier part of this prayer than many of the other aspects. I don't think I need to convince you of your need for forgiveness. I, there, sitting in here is a group of people that if you were really honest with yourself, you would say, I know that I've done wrong things, thought wrong things, said wrong things, and I need forgiveness for those things. I probably don't have to convince you that in this room is a whole uh, busload of people who are dealing with sin and temptation. All kinds of it in this room. Stuff that would make your skin crawl if you knew all the thoughts and actions of everybody in this room. Monsters you are, all of you. <laughs> and I'm included. Apart from God's grace monstrous. So I don't have to convince you that you, you need to pray to, to God regarding your temptations and, and even the evil that is around you. I probably don't have to convince you of that. Now you probably, like me, misunderstand this whole idea of your kingdom come. What does God mean by that? Your name be revered. Your name is holy. What does God mean by that? Your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, start with me. Those are some things that are difficult to, to comprehend. But then we get to this part of give us this day our daily bread. And I just don't think that means as much to most of us living in Chester County, Pennsylvania, in the year 2024, as it does to other pockets of communities that I, and neighborhoods that I could take you to right now in 2024, and even in the context of the ancient Near East, where the idea of, of being dependent upon God for their daily needs was something they lived more aware of than you do. This is a petition for, for provision. It's a prayer for provision. Do you even know that you need God? We're supposed to pray to God to meet our needs. Do you do that? So the prayer for provision is supposed to teach us some things. It's going to teach us three things this morning. The first is this. The prayer for provision teaches us to depend upon God daily. It teaches us to depend upon God daily. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying that I often live without a sense of how dependent I am upon God in a daily way. C certainly as it relates to eating. I, I just don't think very much about where my next meal is coming from. What I think about is what I want my next meal to be. And then I go get it. Because I can. In the Bible times, bread was a staple food. Bread was a synonym for food itself. It was a symbol for those things that sustain physical life. So I don't care if you're paleo and primal. Like bread, bread it, it, it was a synonym. It symbolizes something. You go on the carnivore diet, you need God. 
Bread is a necessity of life, so by implication, bread includes all of your physical needs. So we're not getting caught up on the bread here. We're getting what this is is a prayer for God to provide for all of your needs. Now I know you know you have needs. Sometimes you might not be as aware when you when you think about what your material physical needs are, but this is a church full of things. You're going through things and you need God's help. This is what this is a a request for. It is a physical request, it is a material request. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we think about something that's very spiritual. We super spiritualize it. But God, Jesus does both. Like he's going to say, yeah, 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 you do, need, you do need to pray for forgiveness for sins. There's spiritual needs that you have, but you also need to pray for your material, physical needs. The Lord's Prayer doesn't pretend that pain and hunger and material needs aren't real. They are. And they're more real for some people than they are for others. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some religions might do that, might pretend that like material and physical needs are not important, but spiritual needs are, are, are what is important. But Jesus doesn't do that. What we see in this clause is that we are supposed to, to pray to God for provision in a daily way. And that he lays it right next to a need to pray for forgiveness for sins. So you see, Jesus, when Jesus looks out at you and sees your needs, he sees your physical needs and he sees your spiritual needs and he lumps them all together into human need. And so, what does, how, how are we supposed to apply this? Well, I think the simple application is to think about what are your needs? What do you need? And, and are you asking God to meet your needs? Like, that's just like the one-to-one -one easy application. But I think there's another application for us. And I think because we live with such abundance that the application for us is almost like the reverse of asking God to meet our needs. It's expressing gratitude. So I've been thinking about this a lot, not taking things for granted. See, if you... If you are not aware of your dependence upon God in a daily way, and you're not regularly asking him to meet your needs because those needs have been met, then what should be happening in your life is expressions of gratitude for how God has met your needs. But we don't do that because we take those things for granted. And so how often are you thanking God for his provision in your life? What would that look like in a daily way for you to express gratitude to God for how he has met your needs? The Latin word here 
give us this day our daily bread, translates super substantialist Panera. Now you know why it's called Panera. It's Latin for bread. Super substantialist, our daily bread, which also could be translated, and there's probably a footnote in your Bible that talks about our bread for today or our bread for tomorrow. Our needful bread, what we need to sustain us. So we need to regularly be reminded of how dependent we are upon God. Now there's a difference between needs and wants. The Rolling Stones got it right. Johnny. I mean, that's, that's impressive because that song was probably written in the 60s. You can't always get what you what, church? You know this better than you know most scripture. You can't get what you want, but you can get what you need. See, that's the, that's the danger for us is that we have a hard time discerning the difference between a want and a need. I have so many wants. But I'd be ashamed to ask God for all of them. Why? Because I don't really need them. So this is a prayer to ask God for what you need. Now, if you're confused on that and you accidentally pray for something that you want because you turned it a need, God's okay with, he can sort through this stuff. And he will answer his prayers according to his, your prayers according to his capacity and according to his determination of what you really need. N.T. Wright says, the danger with the prayer for provision is that we get there too soon. Because <laughs> it's not hard for us to start rattling off all the things we want God to do for us. And sometimes I, I listen to my own prayers and I listen to, to our prayers as a church and, and our prayers can just be so weak. <laughs> God, give us a good day. I hear that prayer. Or we wake up in the morning, give us a good day. And it's good. It's better to pray for a good day. It's better to ask God for that than to not ask him for that. But what do you even mean by that? What are, we, what, are we, what are we truly asking God for? And would you even be able to know whether God answered your prayer or not? <laughs> you prayed for a good day. Did he give you a good day? What if you got trial? Did God answer your prayer? <laughs> We're to ask God for the bread we need, J.I. Packer says, for the supply of necessities, not luxuries that we can do without. This petition does not sanctify greed. Remember the Israelites, they gathered just enough manna, right? For the day. Boy, we'd hate to live like that. It teaches you dependence upon God, though. There's all kinds of people from different socioeconomic levels in here. Most of you fall into a certain category. There's some people in this church with real need. Real need. 
but categorically, we're blessed. We're blessed. We've experienced a lot of provision. We have a lot of niceties in our homes. And so we should be grateful for those things. But we should also be, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's my second point. Some questions for application. Are you prepared to ask God for something specifically and have him providentially respond by not giving you what you asked for? showing you that you really didn't need it at all. You prepared for that? After praying for God's provision and receiving from him, whether a lot or a little, believe that God has answered you. Are you content with what God has given you? Do you live with a grateful heart towards God? Or do you feel kind of this sense of just taking things for granted? One of the things that the prayer for provision teaches us as, it, as we talk about to daily depend upon God is that what, we're, what God wants us to do is to reject self-reliance and to promote God-dependence. One of the things God's wanting to remind us of this morning, perhaps through the exercise of gratitude, is how dependent we are upon God and how grateful we should be for how he's met our needs. Amen? All right, let's just move to the second point. The prayer of provision teaches us to depend upon God daily, and it also teaches us to look beyond our own needs. Let me just make a few comments here. Do you see what Jesus said? He says, pray then like this, give us this day my daily bread. That's not what it says. Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer for provision teaches us to actually look beyond what we need to the needs of others. I'm challenged by this. I believe you guys are too. We shouldn't be able to pray for our own provision without thinking about those who are going without in some way. As soon as you begin to think about the needs around you, and you can start with your own family. Like, what, what do my kids need from God? What, do, what does my wife need from God? What do my friends need from God? What does the church need from God? What does this area need from God? What does the world need from God? You see, now, now you're praying, right? So you start to think about those things. You start to, it fills out your prayers. But when you begin to think about what other people's needs are and you begin to pray about God meeting the needs of others, you, you walk into a dangerous area because you can't pray that prayer without thinking how you might be the answer to your own prayer. 
And a lot of us just don't want that. Let's just make this between you and me, Lord. (laughs) Because I'm not really interested in bearing other people's burdens. I'm not really interested in shouldering some of that load. I'm not really interested in someone else's needs falling on me. I'm not really interested in sacrifice. You can't be a disciple without sacrifice. You can't follow Jesus without sacrifice. So the Lord invites us not only to take our own needs before his throne, knowing that he's aware of them and that he has the capacity to to deal with them, but he also invites us to take others' needs before the throne, even inviting us to ask how we might be an answer to our own prayer. There's a lot more that could be said here. But even last week, you know, we're preaching, preaching on the sanctity of human life. And I think that, that's something that we should pray about, right? We should pray about those things. But, but, but I think we should go further and begin to ask, what could we do? I was just talking to to somebody who had a recent meeting with some of the ladies down at Chester County Connect Care. And what was coming out of that conversation is just basically, it's a lot of ladies down there that are, that are giving their time, their, their sacrifice, they're making sacrifices and they're laboring. There's not a lot of men down there. And she was just sharing with him, like, we got broken pipes, we've got all kinds of stuff that's going on in this building, but we don't have anybody really to take care of it. Maybe that's an expression of how you could act on your conviction that you should be doing justice, is that you could volunteer to go down there and and help repair some of the holes in the walls. I looked, one of the things we went through is our finances. We've got an adoption fund of $8,000, which is great. I wonder if we could build it up. Not all of you, many of you have pro-life convictions, but not all of you can adopt. You want to do justice, but you're, you're in your late 70s. Are you going to adopt? I haven't thought about myself. Would I adopt? I know I look young, but I'm 57 years old, guys. If I adopt now, I'm walking a kid to the college campus when I'm 77. I'm not the best category for adoption either. A lot of you are, though. But what you don't have is the resources. You ain't got the money. It's just like Gary says all the time. We can't all be goers when it relates to global missions. You can't. But everybody here can participate in sending. We can send. 
It's the same with issues of justice. It's the same when we're talking about the needs around us. Let's not be the kind of church that like kind of rallies behind convictions but never gets around to doing anything about it. I don't know what to do about those things. You guys think about those things. You pray about those things. And you pray about the needs around you. And you ask, how could I be an answer to my own prayer? Let's see what God does. Last point. How are we doing? Go ahead and put those points up. I got lost in my notes. Okay, the prayer for provision teaches us to depend upon God daily to look beyond our own needs, and to delight in God and all of his free gifts. To be thankful to God for how he has met your greatest needs and how he continues to pour his grace out upon you. God loves people to experience pleasure. Do you believe that? He loves for people to be happy. That's why he sent his son Jesus, to lift you out of your misery and sin and to find joy and satisfaction in Christ where at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're supposed to delight in God. For anyone grace, we ought to be so happy. We ought to be so happy. When we think about how God has met our needs and what he's done for us, we ought to be the most joyful, humble, grateful people around. People ought to love to be around us because we're grateful and we're happy. We're humble. It doesn't mean we, it doesn't mean we don't live not acknowledging our troubles. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we ought to be aware of how God has provided for us and be extremely grateful for that. You guys know my dad passed away, most of you know my dad passed away in July. I think about him a lot, a lot of great memories of him. Um, But one of the things I was just thinking about is how my dad would eat corn on the cob. It was something to behold. And, you know, I learned something. Like, I thought everybody ate corn on the cob like we did. Like, we had a stick of butter. You know, like, the butter at our house in the summer always had, like, corn silk in it. You know, some people didn't do it. I went over to somebody's house, and they actually, maybe some of you did this. I think it's really weird. They buttered bread, and then they slid the corn through the bread they were holding. That's weird. I don't know if any of you do that, but that's really weird. But, but what we did was we got the corn hot out of the, out of the pot, and then we ran it along the butter. You got to get a lot of butter on it. And then you salt and pepper that thing. Now, here's the thing, too. We lived right next to George Sharpless's farm. He provided, all, he provided almost all of the local markets with fresh Corn, Silver Queen is what it was called. And when the first, when we got the first, like we used to pick corn for him, so we would bring it home. Like we had the first of it. 
We were like, we got the freshest ear of corn you can get. Fresh ear of corn. Guys, you didn't even need anything. You could just rip it open and just eat it. But we would put it on, my mom would put it on, put it in the pot, take it out, butter it up, salt and pepper it. And my dad, who was not a great vegetable eater, he always told us to eat our vegetables. We were like, Dad, you ain't never eat a vegetable. <laughs> but he did eat corn. And I can just remember the way he would just mow that <laughs> corn down. Just say, da, 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 da. you know, it's just like the, the way he ate it. But when he ate it, his knees, like his feet stomped. And sometimes they hit the table, like he would like, he would hit the table and, and, and he would groan, like he went, uh, like he closed his eyes, uh, 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 just, just, it was an amazing thing to behold. And you know what I've concluded? I have concluded that God really enjoyed watching my dad eat corn on the cob. That's why I created it for that. Like, that's what you're supposed to do when you eat corn. You praise God through your groanings. Now, let's be clear, because we, we're laughing. All of our grunts and groans while eating corn in the crop are expressions of praise, especially if they are directed to God for the good things that he's given. So it's possible to take those things for granted. It's possible to eat corn on a cob for the glory of God. But the Bible opposes the idea that you would not delight in every good gift that God has given to you. The demon screw tape and the screw tape letters said with disgust, God is a hedonist at heart. It's our enemies that hope that you will not delight in God and the good gifts that he's provided. Your health, your food, your ability to exercise, the ability to play sports, your marriage, your hobbies, your friendships, your recreational activities, your vacations, and on and on and on and on are a way for you to delight in God. Hasn't God been good to you? It's your Christian duty to delight in him, to be thankful, to be grateful. If you don't delight in God and his gifts, then you're ungrateful. And you'll give an account for it. When Jesus hit the scene and began his ministry, he caused a lot of commotion. He became the talk of the town. And not everybody had nice things to say about Jesus. He was criticized for partying too much. He was criticized for being a glutton. Wine drinker. Hung out with the wrong kind of people. And people asked him, why don't you, why don't you, we kind of think of religion as something that, that requires more discipline, requires more asceticism, requires more denial. So they would ask him, why don't you and your disciples fast? And he said, when the groom's with you at the wedding, 
It's not a time to fast. It's a time to feast. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray for bread, it wasn't just for physical bread. Physical bread isn't a first-order priority. That's why it's the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Life is more than food. It's more than sheer survival. Jesus eating and drinking with sinners was a deliberate picture and a sign of the kingdom to come. Listen to this. Isaiah. Let me find it. Isaiah 25. Just read you a section. This is a prophet Isaiah. He's looking forward to a day. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. One day, there awaits you a party in heaven. Feasting for every sinner that has put their hope in Christ for salvation. This is what you're in for. And when you get there, you won't be like, oh, no, 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 not me. Give, the food, give that to somebody else. You're going to feast in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of your Savior. You may not have much now here on earth, but if you have Christ, you'll rejoice in his presence for all eternity. That's why Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When we celebrate communion together, which we did recently, we're remembering that Jesus said he was the bread of life. That the bread we take refers to his body broken for us. And that the wine refers to his blood spilled for us. Jesus is the bread of life. The prayer for daily bread is to remember, in addition to requesting him to to meet your daily needs, it's to remember that your greatest need was to be rescued from your sin and that Jesus is the one who's done it. It's to remember that one day you'll sit at that banquet table that Isaiah saw in his mind's eye, in his spirit. You'll sit there with Jesus and it won't be because of what you've done to earn it. It will be because of what he's done for you. Not one person in heaven feasting with Jesus will point to their own merit and say, I'm the, I'm the reason I'm here. They'll point to Jesus and they'll say, I'm here because of him. I'm here because of his love for me. I'm here because he had the desire and the capacity to save me. 
I'm here because of his provision of salvation for me. I'm delighting in him and all of his gifts to me. I'm here because of his love for me. And then you will just keep on delighting and delighting and delighting and delighting. Amen? That's what we're in for.